the field of human conflict, but so much owed by so many to so few. Hello and welcome to Radio UF. This is Student Radio 98,9. My name is Sara and uh, I am here today with Jay. Hi. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's your first <laughs> broadcast. You're it right. is. It is. And I'm looking forward to it already. Yeah, we're very excited to have you here. We will also be joined by Melker soon. He's on his way from uh, work, so he will be storming in here shortly. Uh, but today we are talking about US, right? Exactly. And the midterm election, what it means, the complexities around it. And uh, we're just trying to make sense of it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, keep listening and uh, we'll be right back. You just heard All About You by Blenda. This is Radio UF and you're listening to Studentradion 98,9. And today we are uh, talking about uh, the US and the elections that were held there last week. So, say, do you want to just give us a brief overview? Uh, what, uh, what are the midterms elections and why are they important? That's right. Many people wonder why do we have elections in between uh, an ongoing government. But that's the way the US have it. And um, on the 8th of November was i mean all eyes was on the us and we were really curious to see what exactly would happen but yes it's been quite interesting but to just set the pace pretty much it's uh it happens pretty much is a system to say okay mid-time into the current governance let's have an election and it happens every two years where halfway into the current president's four-term uh bidding and it's pretty much like okay so what is happening what are the um what's like feeling the tempo of the people and that's where they get to decide who gets into congress and by congress that's both the house of rep and the senate and there's been quite some interesting turnouts this this particular year particularly for the democrats <laughs> yeah it has and just so everyone's on the same page the uh, the congress the house of representatives and the senate they are um the president is very dependent on these because uh, Every law that he has to pass can has to pass uh, through these uh, two houses. Yeah. So currently, we don't know exactly all of the results yet, even though it has been almost a week. But currently, the Democrats uh, have control over the Senate uh, because they got fifty fifty of one hundred seats, which means that uh, even though they only have half, uh, because they have the vice president and she has the the final say. They have control over the Senate and then the Republicans seem to lean towards a majority in the House of Representatives, but they have not really finished counting. So we're not 100% sure about that yet. That's right. And just to say, you may be wondering why 100 seats in the Senate. So the way it works in the U.S. is there are two senators from each state. So out of the 50 states in the U.S., uh, every state can produce at least two senators. And that's why there are like 100 seats. Yeah, keep listening to hear us talking more about this in just a minute. 
That was 100 by Sikkan. You're listening to Student Radio 98,9, and this is Radio UF. My name is Sara, and I'm here with Say today. As we're talking about the midterms elections now, uh, Say, do you want to give us a brief outline of uh, what uh, what was the important issues before this election? Well, as it is in every part of the world, people are usually informed based on or influenced based on what they think should be the primary issues, what concerns them, what they really hope to see in the government. And in the U.S., it's been quite a number of issues varying from inflation uh, to abortion rights. There's also been conversations around immigration and how how to regulate all that. Democracy, how much freedom do people get as citizens of the U.S.? And the next one is not particular to the U.S. I think it's it's, uh, experienced virtually in almost all the countries right now, the energy crisis, uh, and we know why, and which has been reflected in like high prices of gas. But yes, these are some of the primary issues. I could also add gun control as one of mm, the issues yeah. that have uh, mobilized voters. So for me, I would say inflation, abortion rates, uh, abortion um, laws, immigration, democracy, energy crisis, and gun controls. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think this is very interesting because it's so dependent on who you ask. Because, of course, the U.S. is such a big country, and maybe if you ask someone in the northern states, they're not going to say that immigration is an issue because they're not faced with the situation on the border. While, you know, young people are maybe more more excited about abortions or abortion rights. Uh, So I think that's really interesting about this. And uh, we also saw something interesting that uh, there seems to be a higher voter turnout in this election. Usually voter turnout in midterms is not uh, not very high, around uh, 50% or or so. But uh, I think 2018 was the record and this year uh, they think that it might be broken, but we we haven't seen the exact stats. I don't think they have released them yet. That's right. And we can also predict that some of the reasons why uh, there is that increase is because this time the Gen Zs, as we know mm. them, can vote, not just vote, but also be voted for. And we'll get to one of the surprising news uh, that has come out, come out from this election in a bit. But yes, there's been a lot of young people that are voting. And interestingly, I, I think, well... It has been reported that most of these young people have been the one that have given Democrats Mm -hmm. the edge uh, in this particular election, somewhere around 12 percent of the population. Mm. Yeah, and that's also because usually in the midterms, the party of the incumbent president, so in this case, the Democrats, usually don't do as well in the midterms. Yes, that's what is believed. And you would wonder why exactly is it that people get disappointed halfway Mm. into the current president and they feel like maybe we should, you know, turn the boat a little bit, rock the boat a bit. Uh, But yes, that's what has been believed, that the president's party doesn't, I mean, do not perform as much. Mm. But it's been quite different this year because uh, Democrats have... I mean, they fought hard, we can say. Yeah. And uh, until the final result is out, we cannot we cannot make any verdict. But def- definitely, it has been a change in the norm. Of course. So, what do you think we can expect from this uh, result now that we're we're identifying that the Democrats are doing better? Uh, what what difference does does it make? We can just hope that it does not get the current U.S. government to be relaxed, because I think that's the work of 
th- that's where it is important to have an opposition, a very strong mm. opposition to keep the government on their toes and say, hey, this is what we think should be done. This is how things should be done. Because if we just celebrate the fact that, okay, the president's party is the one leading, both in uh, the House of Rep and in the Senate, maybe that could lead to some sort of, you know, loopsidedness and like, okay, we're just in power and we can be comfortable. So uh, as much as it's good for the party, we should also know that there is that place of, you know, the opposition party just trying to monitor things and keep them on their toes. And it also sends some strong messages ahead of the 2024 election with Mm. uh, Trump open to run side by side with President Biden. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. We'll return to that shortly. Don't panic. You remembered what to do. You just heard Till Then by Benny Atlas. You are listening to Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9. We're talking about the US midterms today that occurred uh, last week. Uh, and uh, Melker is here now. Hi. Hey. <laughs> I, the the uh, Uppsala bus system is less than spectacular, is all I can say. But it's good to have you here. Welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> so you mentioned before the break that uh, Gen Z has uh, had a, a big impact in this election. Um, you also had a, an interesting candidate that you wanted yes, to talk about. Yes, they have. In 2020, there were just about 10% of those that voted within the Gen Z. And for those who do not know Gen Z, are those that were born like, 1996 yes so just so you know but yes they've also not just um, made an impact in terms of the voting system but there is also an interesting development in terms of who is also going to be in the house who will be representing florida and it will be 25 year old maxwell frost he will be the first gen z members we know it to be elected to congress and he's gotten the seat for the 10th congressional district in florida and i think that's quite quite interesting because he will be replacing a 25 year old man who's been there for mm-hmm. i think about eight years mm-hmm. and um considering that the house generally is still like some 75 percent white people it's also interesting that this young man maxwell frost is afro-cuban american so mm-hmm. it brings a lot of diversity and that's one of the issues he had uh, flagged during his campaign diversity gun control and he's also made a lot of advocacy for Medicare. So I think that's one of the very interesting uh, developments, good for young voices in the U.S. And uh, we'll see how that shapes. I mean, we'll see how he's been in the Congress will turn out. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm just thinking like, I'm 24, like I haven't accomplished anything and he's in the <laughs> <Sure>. Congress. <laughs> uh, don't be too hard on well, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, on the other side of the coin, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Marie Glusenkamp Perez. And she's very interesting because uh, you can say that she's more of a um, centrist Democrat in a way. But um, uh, she won in the third district of Washington State. And it's interesting because she ran against a Republican called Joe Kent. And the interesting thing is that she received 50.8% of the votes, while Kent received 49.2%. So Mm. why is this interesting? Well, because... To the run-up of this election, some of the pollsters gave her about a 2% chance of winning against uh, a 98% chance that Kent would win. And um, I think it's very interesting because um, to the lead-up of the year, Kent was uh, very much a a MAGA Republican, if you can call him that. Very much talking about election conspiracy, about uh, impeaching Biden and uh, uh, hanging out with former Trump advisor Steve Bannon on his podcast. He drove a very aggressive campaign, but it does not appear that this actually worked. Um, on the contrary, 
Blues and Compares had a very like sort of centrist small business campaign, local issues rather than the whole um, yeah uh, political uh, Washington based of um, wanting to impeach Joe Biden or wanting to impeach Trump, and that served her very very well. Uh, so she appears to be winning this one. Uh, Kent has yet to concede. He says that yeah, there's probably something weird going on, not <laughs> unsurprising. Um, but that's very interesting because we might get back to this later. But it seems like this short, sort of uh, issue-based... Uh, oh, sorry. I accidentally bumped into the mic. Uh, <laughs> this sort of like local issues-based uh, politics seem to be working very well for a lot of candidates. Mm. We'll talk more about that after the break. You just heard När stjärnorna slutar falla by Avantgardet. You're listening to Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9. And uh, as we're talking about the midterms, there's uh, it's quite complicated, I think. Uh, Melker, you are the US election system expert here. Can you, uh, yeah. can you help us understand? Recovering US uh, politics addict. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so the interesting thing about the US system is that they... They like a, they really like an election. Uh, local judges, local sheriffs, uh, mayors, everything. They vote for everyone and everything. And uh, what's interesting is that since the United States is a very uh, sort of a federation in that it's kind of loosely, uh, the states have a lot of uh, decisions up to themselves. And therefore, they also elect a governor in the gubernatorial races. It's a very difficult word, but gubernatorial, I think, is how you pronounce it. And um, they are also elected approximately every four years. But of course, it varies by state by state, <laughs> as you always say with every US thing. It can't be uh, simple. No, of course no. not. It has to be separate and unique. But something very interesting happened in one of these races, right? Yeah, interesting or maybe not very interesting, but uh, I just wanted to talk about South Dakota because it's a state that doesn't really get a lot of attention and uh, maybe understandably because it's not very surprising. Uh, So last week, uh, the incumbent governor, Kristi Noem, she is Republican. She won again uh, in this uh, deep red state and she got 62% of the votes And only, I think, five counties in the state voted blue, so voted for the Democratic candidate. And South Dakota hasn't had a Democratic governor since the 1970s. But uh, maybe she is somewhat groundbreaking because uh, she is the first female governor in uh, South Dakota, at least. But uh, I just wanted to bring her up because I think she is quite typical of... um, like the Well, you know, the the Republican governor in uh, the Midwest... Also, the Midwest lies very close to my heart. Mm. Um, but yeah, she is, uh, you know, has the typical uh, Republican issues that she proposes. So less government involvement. She wants to cut taxes. She also has said that she wants to expand paid family leave and benefits for childcare workers. She's also against abortion and was known during COVID that she has very restrictive or sorry, very non-restrictive yes. COVID laws. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense. Um, But yeah, so I think although we hear a lot about these states that are changing a little bit, like Georgia might be voting blue, uh, Nevada, Arizona also, it's still important to think about that a lot of the states are just the same, you know. And uh, I have have a very good friend from South Dakota. And uh, when we talk about this, he always says that, like, why should I vote? Like, it's not going to make a difference um, because if he votes blue... He's from rural South Dakota. Like, no, it's never going to be a Democratic governor. And I mean, I, I don't agree with that, but uh, I just think that's like an, an important 
thing to think about. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps many people are thinking about him, and that's why the blue only got thirty-five. Yeah, maybe. Percent. And I mean, I'm sure it's the same in the blue states. Like mm. Republican voters there don't feel like there's any point. Mm. Yeah, there's very much an. I would say, in my personal opinion, it's kind of the first past the post system. That you know, winner takes all. As soon as you get fifty point zero 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 one percent of all the votes, then you win everything mm. and um, I have if I recall correctly some of the states are looking into some sort of promo- uh, proportional thing because of course every state decides what they want to do but yeah I think it's a very inherent fo- flaw that kind of drives low voter turnout as you talked about here uh, in this system. You also had another interesting candidate you wanted to talk about? Yeah so. yeah I guess one of the most biggest upsets, or not really, is the victory of John Federman over Mehmet Off in uh, Pennsylvania, a state very close to my heart. Go birds. <laughs> And what's interesting here is that this might be the Senate vote that pushes the Democrats over 50% and makes it so that, because this is an upset. There used to be a red Republican, but now they say a blue Democrat who now uh, will be the senator, one of the senators from Pennsylvania. And John Federman is very pro-weed, very pro-LGBT. So this can be quite a big change if he yeah, advocates these issues like legalization of weed in Pennsylvania as a senator. Um, and depending on how the Georgia runoffs turn out, because of course there's another runoff in Georgia just as last time, uh, we might see a 51 Senate uh, for the Democrats. And that's better than before the midterms. So that's very, very unexpected, at mm-hmm. least from my point. Mm. But John Feather- Federman is also interesting, right? Because he had a yeah, he had a stroke, stroke. Uh, yeah. mid-campaign. And um, of course, it's very hard to do public speaking after having a stroke. Uh, but he still managed to win. So that's a proof of um, Philly spirit, if nothing mm. else. And probably the people on your side. I could also very quickly mention that Massachusetts is, is that how it's pronounced? Uh, Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, Massachusetts. It's quite complex, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, they have the first female governor. Uh, she was the, before now, the attorney general. And uh, she is the first openly gay person that will be elected as a governor in mm. the States. Mm-hmm. Quite interesting, too. And sh- most of our focus has also been around abortion rights, improving child care costs, and probing oil companies, talking about climate change and the need mm-hmm. for taking on, on big pharmaceutical companies too. So, mm-hmm. All right, we'll be right back. You just heard uh, Show Me Love by Bave. This is Radio UF. Uh, my name is Sara, and I'm here with Say and Melker. We're talking about the U.S. midterms today. Uh, and uh, Melker, you mentioned uh, during the break that this election can have uh, implications for the leaderships in the parties. Yeah, if we start off by looking at uh, the Republicans, um, I've seen quite a lot of noise because, of course, this isn't the midterm that they would like. Um, what would be a pretty easy layup uh, because like the economy isn't all that great in the US right now it might end up with the democrats still being in power of both the house and the senate mm. and that would be a huge uh, failure for the um, uh, republican party and you can kind of see this in uh, alaska as well since they have a ranked choice uh, election so that uh, both because right now there's a republican versus a republican basically in uh, Uh, there's Kelly Chibaka who has uh, Chibaka, I mean, <laughs> who has forty-four point two percent of the votes, and Lisa Murkowski who has forty-two point eight percent, and they are the top competitors. And one of them is kind of more uh, MAGA Republican, 
um, Trump-like, well, the other is more uh, old-school Republican and has a bit of support from the current Senate, uh, Senate leader, um, Mitch McConnell, who you could see representing the kind of old-school uh, conservative brand of Republicanism. So a lot of Republicans are mad that, like, okay, why did you spend a lot of money on trying to get this old-school Republican to win over the uh, MAGA Republican? Shouldn't you spend it on competitive races? And I think that's a very interesting split in the Republican Party, and especially if uh, the Democrats gain control of the House again, then that would mean that maybe Mitch McConnell won't be lasting as the unofficial leader leader of the Gump Party anymore. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see how the Republicans are going to move from this, because, I mean, I'm sure that it's very surprising that uh, the Democrats did or seem to do so well um, as they actually are. Uh, so maybe we'll just see a more united front in the uh, in the future. You mean for the Republicans? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. I'm not sure about that because no. um, you can see, for example, uh, we see a bit of uh, contention between um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and uh, former President Donald Trump. Although both are very conservative and both are quite extreme, in my opinion, they still represent two different kind of conservatisms. And that might be a they might be the contenders for the presidential race in 2024 Uh, so that will be really interesting to see how this shapes out yeah definitely Uh, we'll be right back after the break that was on earth by elvis de presedly you're listening to radio uf at studentradion 98,9 maybe we should turn our gazes to the outside world now. Uh, what foreign policy implications uh, could we see from this election, do you think? Say? Quite a lot, quite a lot from, um, I mean, the war in Ukraine and uh, Russia's invasion, the U.S. support uh, to climate issues, uh, the economy also, gun policies, abortion, and what support that would mean from other countries. It's it's quite a lot of issues that are uh, uh, the world, I mean, outside of the U.S. are really concerned about. And uh, the U.S. being who they are, uh, their stance in all of this would will, will really shape, sort of drive the narratives in other parts of the world. But maybe Melka can start off with the, uh, what was it you were going to talk about? The war in Ukraine. War in Ukraine. Yeah, yes. but I just got to agree and support the notion that like, yeah, the U.S. is very important for everyone. They are very influential and they kind of set the stage and like what you can get away with in local politics, especially with climate change. Mm -hmm. But uh, if we are to tie it back to the war in Ukraine, for example, there's a lot of support coming from the US to Ukraine in this conflict. And um, we have seen that um, a lot of uh, Republicans are very, are kind of supportive of Ukraine in this case, and that uh, they kind of support this spending and aid to Ukraine during the fighting. Uh, But we also see a little bit of a smaller wing of the party, like the Trump wing, if you can call it that, who are less supportive of this. And either it's a sort of pro-Putin thing where they think that he's in the right, or it's a very like isolationist, America first, why should we care about this uh, sort of approach? And um, if there was a sort of red wave, as it were, uh, then the budget that is set by both Congress, as in the House and the and the Senate, that could change a lot of things if they, for example, decide not to grant military, grant military aid to Ukraine. But uh, we're not sure if this will happen now. Mm, absolutely. But what we know is uh, at the 
ongoing conference of parties in Egypt, uh, the U.S. has again made some more pledges. Uh, I think somewhere around a hundred billion, a hundred million dollars, somewhere around that, to support adaptation and mitigation mm. efforts in uh, developing countries as a response to climate change, and. Uh, of course, like uh, many other issues, not all Republicans are really excited about that. So it will be, I mean, I think it's one of the areas to to really spotlight and to also think about when it comes to uh, foreign policies and what it really means to the U.S. We will uh, do one more song now. You just heard Thick of the Honey by Phaser Days. This is Radio UF and you're listening to Student Radio 98,9. And today we have talked about the US midterms. So maybe we should just try to conclude a little bit. What does this mean for uh, either of the parties? Maybe start with the Democrats that seem to be doing, uh, doing better. Yeah, the Democrats are doing better than expected, but we still don't know because some of the very secure Democratic seats in New York and California are still undecided and they might end up with more seats than they had before at least in the senate and that would lead to biden having more room to enact his uh, agenda and policy choices and that might be a good thing for him heading into the 2024 election especially if he decides to run again so that's uh, the democrats perspective yeah but also that they are uh, the senate is the one that approves of the federal judges biden will now be able to appoint judges to the to the federal courts uh, mm-hmm. which has huge implications for the justice system yeah and just taking you back Malka, if he decides to run again in 2024 what do you think that would look like uh, particularly looking at the i mean the stance where the republicans stand right now in the division in party yeah and and what chances do you think they would have Yeah, it depends on like if it's DeSantis or if it's Trump going up against uh, uh, Joe Biden. But I think what's really interesting is that things are going like the inflation. It's a big thing. Abortion is a big, big thing. And I think that might serve Biden, actually, even though it's happened on his watch, like the inflation and stuff. These are very concrete economical issues that everyday Americans can experience. And if we talk about this, then it will be something that they can respond to because the Republican Party after Trump has kind of tried out his strategy of more quote-unquote culture war things like being um, anti-LGBT legislation, the war on woke or whatever you should call it, uh, immigration. And those things are kind of, they like, compared to the economy, it's much more harder for the American to grapple with. Because like if you notice, oh, my money isn't worth as much, then you're going to focus on that rather than some obscure, yeah, culture war thing. So I think that could serve the Democrats that the economy is doing kind of bad. But that's my view on it. Another thing that I think will uh, be obvious in 2024 would be that it's going to be local. There are not so much surprises as it was the last year or during the election that brought in Obama. So it's going to be very much locally participation, local participation. Mm. And uh, like you say, it could be that the status quo will remain. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I agree that the abortion uh, probably serves the Democrats very well. Uh, but yes. uh, I don't, I'm not sure the economy does because the people are going to blame the people in power for the economy. And now if the Democrats get uh, a majority in the Senate and m- maybe also in the House, they are going to be very much in power and then if the economy is bad 
they can't really say that they didn't do anything. Yeah, but I think that it depends on the Republicans. If the Republicans just keep on talking about like culture war issues, as it were, then they will probably not be able to, then they won't be seen as having an economic policy. But even if the Democrats talk about, okay, we will fix this and this and this, and then the Republicans talk about something completely different, then the voters would think, okay, let's go with the people with a plan. I would hope at least, Uh, but uh, this is all speculation. Yeah, true. And maybe then now they will, you know, try to rebrand a little bit. And I do, I think they do talk a lot about like economy things, like gas prices, for example. I think they talk more about it than Democrats, probably. Yeah, it's true. But I think that what drove Trump to victory was this culture war approach. So we'll see if this is something that could work again or maybe not. But I'm thinking maybe we'll round things off here before the song break uh, so that we have time to say our final thoughts. All right, we'll be right back. You just heard I Killed Captain Hook uh, by Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Uh, so one word to sum up the uh, what we think about this, this, this election. Better than you'd think. Well, I would say interesting. I would say uh, polarized, I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're going to have to go now. It's time for the news. My name is Sara. And I'm Shay. It's been a pleasure. My name is Melker. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Radio UF. We have meetings every other Monday. So if you want to get involved, just stop by. And uh, now it's time for news. Goodbye. Bye. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Och kom ihåg att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större.